0: So we're continuing this morning on 1 Corinthians. We're getting near to the end here, by the way, which means probably eight more weeks, roughly, guessing. So let's, you know, just think of all the wonderful truths we've, some of the wonderful truths we've already gone through together. As, as, as So picture this, Paul... Paul's writing this letter, and this church of Corinth is having all kinds of problems. It's in a very prosperous city, one of the most prosperous cities of of the world at that time, and they're having all these problems. And so what was one of the main problems he started off with? The church was in disunity. There wasn't unity in the church. There was all these little cliques of different types of people based on how much money they had, their nationalities all these things that divided the church. And Paul said, stop that. Stop this disunity. You're not representing Jesus. You have to live as one body. Each of you have been given spiritual gifts, parts of the human body is the analogy he makes that you need to work together just like your human body needs to work together as one. And he says, don't believe the lie of independence. That's the lie that started in the Garden of Eden. Eat this apple and you'll be like God. He said, no, you need to be interdependent. I've designed you. I knitted you together in your mother's womb because you need each other. So he said, break off this disunity. And he goes, the other thing that I've given you all spiritual gifts. And he goes, the spiritual gifts aren't for your position of pride, to boast in what you've been given. It's to build up not self, but the... The body, the body of Christ. He goes, that's why I gave those to you. And he said, the greatest foundation you have to lay to help you do this is what? Love. Thank you, Steamer. Love. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is not self-seeking. It does not boast. It does not keep record of wrongs. He gave us this whole list of honey-do's that we need to do every day to love one another as the body of Christ. So he's talking about what the church body is supposed to look like. And isn't it amazing, even though this was written over 2,000 years ago, the church today struggles with the same thing. The same thing. And then he talked about, you know, you guys have to deal with the sin in the church. Don't ignore the sin in the church. If there's sin in the church, you need to deal with it. Remember the specific analogy. There was a son sitting in church with his stepmother and no one was talking about it. It's one of the hardest things of church leadership, but we will not allow people to sit here on Sundays and to be living sinful lives that we're aware of. We're going to come alongside of them and try to help them become overcomers to be delivered from it. And we do this out of what? Love. Love. And if, I, if I'm living in sin, I want someone to come tell me. I don't want to dis, be disloyal to my Lord and my King. I want to be delivered from any sinful patterns in my life. Then we talked about the blessings of marriage and the blessings of singleness. We talked about Christian liberties. Yes, we've been given liberties, but don't miss the Christian responsibilities. The balancing truth of liberties and is, is, is responsibilities we've been given as Christ followers. I know this goes back a ways. I'm just reminding you of some of the beautiful things we've studied together. And then what we've been talking about recently is this beautiful thing called worship that we're doing here in the church is worship, our call to worship. And he talked about the right way to do the Lord's Supper. They were doing the Lord's Supper the wrong way. He was talking about this issue of the Word of God as being central and key to building up the church. And this, basically this... This honor and the glory of God and this element of respect as we come to worship each Sunday. And he said we have to do it what? Orderly. There has to be order in the church to worship God properly. So that's a little review. Now we're moving on to chapter 15. Now chapter 15, I'm pretty pumped up about this chapter. As you notice, I get pretty pumped about every chapter. But this one is very, very good because now he moves off of a lot of these issues within the church and talks about the beautiful truth of the resurrection. And this is the longest chapter in the whole book of 1 Corinthians. So Paul builds on this, the gospel. This chapter 15 is the gospel. It's about this, the death of Jesus, the burial of Jesus, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now they all knew that because that is the same gospel that saved them, but now he takes this long doctrinal teaching to make sure they fully and more deeply understand what is behind the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going to be talking about. for. We'll see how Tyler and I break this up for at least a number of weeks and and really get into into the study of this. So with that said, if you would open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. If you don't have a Bible, I have the Scripture right in your bulletin. You can follow along in there. Or I'm going to put them up on the screen here if I remember to take out the PowerPoint. So what, what Paul begins chapter 15 with is, un, listen to this please, brothers, this undeniable proof that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, and that he rose on the third day. He's going to present a very logical, detailed proof of, of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, as I've got in your bulletin, there's three key categories he uses to prove this truth. And by the way, this is is undeniable proof that we need to take in about the gospel, right? So the first one is he he proves them through the church. The existence of the church is proof that Jesus came and he died and was buried and rose on the third day. The second thing he says, I'm going to show you through scriptures, through the word of God, through the prophecies that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. And the third thing he said, I'm going to present witnesses, a long list of witnesses that actually saw Jesus after he had rose from the dead. So you see how he's building this case to to prove with undeniable facts and evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. So you ready? All right, let's go. So first here is the church, the power of the gospel. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. So you see, brothers and sisters, the first thing he says is that I want to remind you of the gospel. You've already heard the gospel. This is the gospel that saved you. This is the gospel that saved you. you. You probably heard it, that was the first sermon Peter preached. All the apostles preached it. I preached it to you. This is the gospel that saved you. Yes. And when he says that you received, he says that you received, which is exactly what he's saying, is that when you heard the gospel, brothers and sisters, let me go to you for a minute. There ha- I pray for each one of you, there was a point in your life where you heard that Jesus died for your sins. Yes. Okay, we got one amen. So one person in here got it. But no, that Jesus died for your sins. There was a point in your life, just like there was in the Corinthians church 2,000 years ago, where he was saying that you don't understand that you're all sinners. You are sinners. And there's no way, as we're saying today, that you're going to be able to work your way out of that. You're never going to be good enough to get into the kingdom of God. Right. You have to have an atonement. You have to have a covering for your sins that comes from the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He had to die in our place. He had to die and take all the sins of the world upon us so that whoever believes in it would not perish but have eternal life. Yes. Yes. So if you're sitting here today and you've not realized that Jesus had to die for you, you don't understand the gospel. That he had to be buried. And why is three days important? Because the Jewish culture, if someone was in the tomb for three days, then they were really, really dead. Then as we know from Jesus, when he came to Lazarus' tomb, what was the proof after three days? The stink. The bodies decaying. But then on the third day, he was raised from the dead. Do you believe that? That's the gospel. Because if he didn't raise from the dead, we're still dead in our sins. There's no evidence that he had victory on the cross. On the cross, Jesus said it's finished. At the resurrection, God the Father said it's finished. I've accepted the atoning work of my son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, because when he rose from the dead, what what was the victory of him raising from the dead? He defeated what? He defeated death. Sin. I heard Satan. Those are the three things he defeated when he rose from the dead. Satan was declared defeated. Sin was declared defeated. Death was declared defeated when he rose from the dead. We can close in prayer. But the reality is that we have to realize this in the depth of our soul the only way we could be saved. The only way we could be saved. Uh So he said, so the 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 evidence, the evidence of the of the death and burial resurrection of Jesus Christ is the church. It's those that believe. This church, not everybody here is a believer. I realize that. But those that believe know without any doubt that they were saved. And then he says here that if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. And what he's saying here is that if you stand in this word, if you hold fast to the word, this is evidence that you really become a born again believer. Don't miss this part, brothers and sisters. A lot of people sitting in church every Sunday think they're saved and they're not. They're not saved. He's not saying you can lose your salvation, but he's saying the evidence of someone that is saved is someone that holds on to the Word of God. They stand on the Word of God. It is their life. Let me show you another verse just to kind of build this a little bit. You all know these verses, I believe. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his Son. So let's do a little test with all of you. See, now, I'm telling you this because I want you all to be saved. Are you conforming more and more to the image of his Son? Are you becoming more like Jesus? I mean, it's a slow process, but you should start to see that I'm loving a little bit more like Jesus. I have the joy a little bit more of Jesus. I have the peace a little bit more of Jesus. I, I'm really seeing that I'm becoming this different person in Christ. Is that true for you? Th- then that's evidence of someone that's saved. He says, unless you believed in vain, and, and what he's talking about, and by the way, if we do believe, look at this list here. If that is truly us being conformed to the image of his son, and he says that in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, all those whom he predestined he also called, those he called he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Nobody that's truly born again will ever lose their salvation. It's impossible. But the question is, are you really holding on? Are you really standing in the word of God with Jesus? Are you being conformed to be like Jesus? That's the test. I pray that's true for you. Now, the two types of people that we see in Scripture that are not doing that let me just give you, because I want you all to be saved, is the people that have shallow roots. Do you know the, the parable of the soils from Jesus? And see, what it is, is that they don't have deep roots. They're, they're not serious about this new life. And it says when persecution comes, they, they fade away they don't have roots they, they can't sustain persecution so they they walk away from their faith because they don't have deep roots are you with me on this yes so so here it is I mean here's a picture by the way in persecution in our time and in our country well it's getting there but it's not the type of persecution they were dealing with in Paul's day but here's here's a picture is that someone that has shallow roots is someone that maybe does a little devotion in the morning maybe not not always in the word every day kind of busy. You know, but, you know, they go to church and they, they have a little bit of the word here and there. Those are shallow roots. Those roots won't sustain you in a storm. And then what happens, they get around worldly people and they, and they, and they bring up Jesus and they start to get shamed by it. They start to, people say, what are, you, what are you talking about? And they wither like a flower in the hot sun. They have no roots. They can't stand up to the word of to these people. They say, Don't, because if the roots are there, hey, whoa, 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 what are you talking about? Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And if you don't believe, I want to talk to you because I'd like to see you saved instead of withering like a flower in the hot sun. They have no roots. Someone that stands on the Word is serious about the Word. They're in the Word. They're meditating on the Word. They're memorizing the Word. So they're ready for the persecution of the world. The other type are the seeds that are sown on weedy, thistle soil. Weeds, right? And what happens to them? What's that? Getting choked out, out. and what's choking them out? Things of the world, Jason. Right? Things of the world are choking them out. The world. See, here it is. They love the world, and they say they love God, but who always wins that battle in our hearts when we're double-minded? The world does. See, they—they're not standing on the word. They're—they're more interested in what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, where they're going to go, the fun. The movies, that all the interta- all the things of the world, and yeah, they may have a little devotion or something in the morning, but they're not building their life on the Word of God. Are you with me on this? And so, it, as Jason said, it chokes them out. The little bit of Word that's in them gets squeezed out of them, and they just start conforming to the world. So that's what he's talking about here. If you're really part of the church the supernatural creation of church, you are serious about the Word of God because the Word of God is life for you. Amen? Amen? Amen. Now, just... I mean, you've you got to picture this, brothers and sisters, that the Corinthian church is very much like the church in our day. I mean, these people came out of sexual immorality. I mean, sexual immorality, uh, maybe even worse than in our day. Drunkenness, prostitution... Uh, homosexuality, adultery, idolatry. And and Paul is saying, in the church, all of you that truly have been born again, you've seen the power of the gospel that that saved you and delivered you from those lifestyles. That's the evidence that Jesus died, was buried, and was raised again. Are you with me? That's evidence number one. Now, last week I had the pleasure of preaching the chapel at Wayside, and there was a a young unbeliever in the the, uh, chapel... And he had a lot of questions for me. The word was written by old men, and all the all the same apologetics you hear all the time. Why do good things happen to bad people? I'm still waiting to meet a good person, by the way. <laughs> okay, somebody got that. But so, but the, one of the questions he said, he goes, "Oh, so, so you think? So you, you're saved?" He said to me. I said, "I'm absolutely saved." He goes, "How do you know you're saved?" I said, "Thank you for asking that question." Let me tell you who I was. Right? This is what Paul's getting at. The miracle of salvation. Let me tell you you who I was. What I loved. How selfish I was. How prideful I was. The man I was before. And then I got saved. And let me tell you who I am now in Christ. And I can guarantee you, I told him this, I said, I guarantee you that Keith would not be standing in this chapel at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Especially not getting paid. (laughs) <laughs> I said, the only reason I'm standing here is because of the miraculous work of God in my life. Yes, amen. I, lo- I told him, I said, you don't know me, but I love you. Yes. And that's not me, that's Jesus in me that I love you. Yes. And I want to see you saved. That's why I'm standing here. This is evidence of a man that's been saved. Amen. And by the way, I've been living this new life for 30 years. So don't tell me it's a temporary change. This is, this is change that's been lasting 30 years so far. So that's what Paul's getting at here. And I pray that's true for you. That you've been born again and you're in this new creation. Is anybody in a hurry this morning? Now the next point. So the first proof of the gospel that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scripture that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day is the power of the church. The second one is the prophecy, the scripture of the gospel that has been fulfilled. Now, it's important you know this. I'm going to give you a little background. There's, in the Old Testament, there's over 350 prophecies related directly to Jesus about his miraculous birth, his life, and of course, yes, his death, right? 350 specific prophecies. Do you know the probability of 350 prophecies becoming true? I, I used to have a slide with all the zeros. It fills up three, three slides of zeros. It is literally impossible for 350 prophecies to become true apart from the miraculous work of God. Here's a simple analogy. What's going to happen to you tomorrow? What kind of prophecies can you make about your day tomorrow? They can't even predict the weather right now. Doesn't that frustrate any of you? All the satellites and everything else, they still can't predict the weather. The reality is, if you sit and reflect on your ability to predict anything about how your day is going to unfold tomorrow, you know how hard it is to to predict the future. But the, the undeniable proof that Paul's talking about here is that there's over 350 specific, not just kind of vague, but specific. Jesus will be born of a virgin, will be born in Bethlehem, and on and on the list goes that are almost impossible. They are impossible apart from God to happen. Let me just show you one about the death of Jesus Christ, out of Isaiah 53. And by the way, Isaiah, 50, Isaiah was written 700 years, listen, 700 years before Jesus was born. Talking about predicting what's going to happen tomorrow, why don't you start predicting what's going to happen 700 years from now? <laughs> Pretty hard to do. But let me show you how specific uh, Jesus predicted this, or God predicted this through Isaiah. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our inequities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Do you see that? Jesus died for our sins. He died so that we would be healed. Have you been healed? Have you been healed? All We like sheep have gone astray. Have you got? Did you go astray? Were you a sinner? We have turned everyone to his own way. Did you live life your way for some period of time in your life? And the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. He took all of our sins that we committed as we did life our way, and he put them upon Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Have you been healed? What is the healing we experienced? How about forgiveness for our sins? Isn't that healing? Isn't that wonderful? They were cement bags on my back. He took them from me. He took all my sins. He took all of your sins if you're truly a believer. He healed us. And not only that, at that same moment that He took all of our sins away, He said, oh, beloved Son, beloved daughter, you are forgiven of your sins. I have taken them. You're a new creation in Christ. And He put the Holy Spirit to live within us. And He says, Satan no longer will have power over your life. You can now say no to sin. Say no to flesh. Say no to temptation. And this Holy Spirit will be with you always. Leading you and guiding you in this new life in Christ. I was healed. I'm being healed. By the power of Jesus. You are too. If you're born again, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're healed not only of your sins. How about this? You're healed of the sins that were committed against you. Some of you have burdened some terrible sins that have committed against you. Jesus takes those too. He takes those sins. He says, "I got those too. Forgive them, and I and I will take care of you." I hope you were healed. Pray you were healed. And it says he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent so he opened not his mouth. That's what Christ did for you. That's prophecy 700 years before Jesus was born that he must die for our sins so that we might be saved. And then he confirms it at the, at the, at the Last Supper. He says, this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So when we take... Communion, we remember what Jesus did for us, so that we might be healed. So, first, that he was that he died for our sins. For inscription, the second one is that he was buried, and buried was just undeniable evidence that he truly was dead, especially to the Jewish culture. And Jesus prophesied this himself when he said, He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus himself prophesied that he would be buried for three days in the tomb. And the third one, of course, is, is the the wonderful truth of the gospel is that, that he he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. There's our Easter Sunday, right? Easter Sunday, that he was raised according to the scriptures. This was prophesied too. Uh, I'm just going to go to Jesus' prophecy about his own resurrection. He said, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed... And on the third day, be raised to life. Yes. He prophesied his own death and his own resurrection. Why is that so important? Why is this gospel message so important? It's the crux of Amen, only Anne. That. Yeah, only God would know that. Thank you, Robin, Anne. Very good. Our deaconesses are speaking up. Don't you love that? I love that. And besides, let me just show you a few pictures here. What's this? Anybody know what this is? It looks nice. <laughs> this, is, this is the tomb of Muhammad. The founder of the Muslim faith. You know what, you know who's in there? Muhammad. He's still in his tomb. And thousands upon thousands of Muslims go to visit this tomb to, to recognize the dead leader of their faith. He's still in the tomb. I don't know about you. I find it difficult to have enough faith to live this life and my God's alive. Their God's dead. Do you know what this one is? Buddha. Yes, thank you, Todd. This is Buddha's tomb. And thousands of people go visit Buddha's tomb. You know who's in Buddha's tomb? Buddha. So the founder of the Buddha faith is dead. One more. Who's in this one? It's a difficult one. Nobody? Who's the founder of the Mormon faith? Joseph Smith's tomb. This is a drawing of his tomb. He's the founder of the church of the later day Saints, the church of the Mormons. You know who's in his tomb? He's still in there, Steamer. He's still in there. See, because... See, see, all these false religions that, that Satan has set up, He set up all these false religions. And by the way, they're all works-based righteousness uh, faiths. Everything except Christianity is works-based. You earn your way to heaven, and you never know if you're going to be in heaven or not. And we can even go to the Hindu faith, is that you're reincarnated, and if you're a good person, you go from a frog to a, to a rat to a cat to a dog, and hopefully someday a prince if you're really good. That's a works-based salvation in the Hindu faith. And and we know the Muslim faith is you have to earn your way to salvation. And one way you can be guaranteed you're going to go to heaven is if you become a suicide bomber. And then you get what? Thousand virgins. virgins. What do the ladies get, by the way? Probably singleness is what they're looking for. I don't know. But the the reality is is it's all works-based salvation. We don't have that. Our salvation is by faith alone through grace alone we entrust not in our own good works, but the finished good work of Jesus Christ. And by the way, his tomb's empty. His tomb's empty. And that's what, that's what they're proving through this, this, this teaching of Paul, is that you, we know his, his tomb is empty because we see the power of gospel, because we don't see people just doing good works. We see people being transformed into new creations in Christ. We see people being born again in a new and they live totally different than they ever did before. You won't find that in the Muslim faith. You won't find that in the Mormon faith. You won't find that in the Buddha faith. Behavior modifications, but not new life, because their their tombs are still filled. So, so that that's what he he is saying with this with this, uh, this scripture here. The proof of it is that the scripture proves that Jesus. We have the three things. We have the church. Uh, we have the scriptures, the prophecies fulfilled. And now we'll get into the third proof and the final one, which is the witnesses. The witnesses. The witnesses to the resurrected Lord. You know, throughout, throughout the history of mankind, I'm talking about the secular world, one or two witnesses would be undeniable evidence in a, case of, in a court case, in a case of law. Are you with me on this? So if you got two reliable witnesses to come before and say this person is innocent or this person is guilty because this and this and this that, that, would, that would be enough evidence in a court to say okay this person is these people have no vested interest, they've sworn to tell the truth so help them God and they've said that and so now this person is guilty or innocent. Are you with me? Yes. So many judges, not all believers, judges, lawyers, scholars have studied the evidence of Jesus' resurrection from the witnesses alone And they said, even the worst lawyer in the world would win this case because we have over 500 witnesses that can be called to the stand that will swear that they saw the resurrected Lord. And by the way, one of the most undeniable proofs is that most of the apostles died martyrs' death because they would not deny that Jesus had risen from the dead. Do you know anybody that's going to die for a lie? They said they they would said. Recant, basically. Deny that Christ rose from the dead, or you will be killed. Kill me. That's how sure I am that Jesus is risen from the grave. So first he goes through some chronological order. We'll just look at this a little bit. First he said he appeared to Cephas. Cephas is Aramaic for Peter. So first he appeared to Peter. Just to give you a little historical thing here, is that he appeared, first he appeared to Mary, we know, at the tomb and then he appeared to Peter before he appeared to those two disciples on the road to Emmaus. You remember when he appeared to them? So the evidence indicates that he, he appeared to Peter somewhere between those two incidences. The scriptures don't tell us why Jesus appeared to Peter first or apart from the other apostles. But I think we can assume that you know, Peter was the designated leader of the apostles. He had just denied Jesus three times. And so it, it, we don't know, but he probably appeared to Peter to re-encourage him to, uh, you know, to return to his faith. He was probably very discouraged at that time. But Peter did have a one-on-one a revelation, a time with the risen Lord, where something happened there. I believe it's encouragement and uh, equipping Peter for the rest of his life. By the way, we know Peter not only died for his faith, he refused to be crucified like his Lord. He was crucified upside down. So, what a transition from someone that denied him three times to... someone said, I will not deny my Lord. You can crucify me. In fact, crucify me upside down. Second one is, then then it says, then he appeared to the twelve. We all know this. This is in scripture. The first time he came to the upper room, who wasn't there? Thomas wasn't there. And we call him what? Doubting. Doubting Thomas. But then he appeared to him again, and Thomas was there. And he said, okay, Thomas, come on over here. Touch the scars in my wrists and in my side. I want to show you it's really me. So he appeared to all the apostles. They had all seen the risen Lord. Peter had seen him on his own, and he saw him with the other apostles. And then it says he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters, by the way, at one time, probably children too, most of whom are still alive. Now, this was written 20 years after Jesus' ascension into heaven, but even 20 years later, most of these 500 people that saw Jesus were still alive, and they were part of the church. Wouldn't that be cool? You're sitting in church, oh yeah, there's 15 people here that saw the risen Lord, why don't you talk to them? It's almost like Paul saying, Listen, let's go through this. If Peter's, if Peter's testimony is not enough, if all the apostles' testimony is enough, there's, over, there's almost 500 witnesses if you want to talk to them that saw the resurrected Lord. Then it says he appeared to James. Do you see that? Now we don't, don't see which James this is, but it's most likely the half brother of Jesus because we do know this that up to six months before Jesus. Uh, went to the cross. James was still not a believer. His half-brother was still not a believer. That's, that's noted in Scripture. But we do know that after Jesus' uh, resurrection, he probably appeared to James because James became a strong believer in the Lord, did he not? Yeah, he took over the leadership of the church in Jerusalem after Peter had to leave Jerusalem when he escaped from prison. James became the appointed leader after Peter's reign in Jerusalem. And then, of course, we know he wrote the great book of James that's in the Bible. So he probably appeared to his half brother and James became a believer then and then it says to all the apostles again and by the way he, he appeared to the apostles you guys know this it, it's a 40 day period from e- the first Easter Sunday to his ascension there's 40 days and Jesus kept appearing to people over those 40 days mostly the apostles undeniable proof that Jesus had risen from the dead and then he calls one last witness to the stand this one Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. This is the Apostle Paul. He al- I also saw the resurrected Lord. And he says, untimely born is interesting wording uh, because we know Paul was not one of the original 12 apostles, right? He was not part of Jesus' earthly ministry. He did not follow the Lord at any point in his earthly ministry. He did not even see the Lord during the 40 days he appeared from the first Easter until his ascension. He never, Paul never saw him then. Untimely born, this is amazing, is Jesus had ascended into heaven, was sitting on his throne of glory, and he had to get up <laughs> from his throne and come and confront and save Paul on the road to Damascus. Untimely born, untimely born. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I think about Paul... I was talking to Pastor Tyler about this last week, but I just picture Paul going, you know, Jesus, you know, we all complain to God about different things. You know, why couldn't have you saved me with one of the twelve? You know, why couldn't I have been one of the twelve? Because he loved Jesus so much, he would have loved to part of the earthly ministry, right? Why couldn't have you saved me then? I also picture Paul at the Temple Mount. You know, Jesus is preaching over in the corner with large crowds, and he's in the Pharisee, the holy huddle, talking about how they're going to kill him, right? Why couldn't have I believed then? Why couldn't I, have, how about this? Why couldn't you save me before I persecuted and killed Christians? Why did you let me do that? I gotta carry this around with me that I was a Christian killer. Untimely born. Untimely born. But I'll come back to that point in a second, but that's what he's talking about here uh, is one that was untimely born. And he says, because this for I was I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I what? persecuted the church persecuted the church and then he goes on he says but by the grace of God I am what I am I love that and his grace toward me was not in vain what's he saying there don't miss this brothers and sisters he wasn't filled with guilt about what he had done because he had been set free he had been healed just like we talked about we had been healed God had forgiven him of his past sins. Like he's forgiven us of our past sins. He wasn't guilty or ridden. But of course, he would never forget what he had done. We don't forget what we have done, do we? We don't forget. But we know we're set free from the penalty of what we've done. But we're no longer responsible. God has taken that responsibility upon himself. Paul felt that. But here it is. Paul used that. Paul used that the great grace of God and the forgiveness of God to motivate him to a life of ministry. you with me on this? That's what motivated him. He knows what he was delivered from. He knows what he had done and what God had saved him from. So his whole life he was determined to serve the Lord out of his love for the Lord, his gratitude to the Lord of what he had done in his life. Right? And what does he say here? Look at this. He says, We're almost done. You're doing well. Hang in there for a few more minutes. On the contrary, it says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Do you see that? Let me just read you a little bit of Paul's resume. In his own words. Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely. Had been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked. Quite the prosperity gospel here, huh? I, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers and danger from bandits and danger from my fellow Jews and danger from Gentiles. In danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers, wolves. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. The motivation that came from his salvation Drove him to a life of absolute denying self and self sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? So he closes this section with whether then it was I or they, so we preach and you believe. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Undeniable proof that Christ died for the sins according to the scripture. That Christ was buried. That Christ was raised on the third third day according to the scriptures. The church, the power of the gospel. The scriptures, the prophecy of the gospel. The witnesses, the proclamation of the gospel. Let me go to just an application point. Are you saved? Are you saved? Do Do you see how you're being conformed more and more to the image of Jesus this is this true for you the good news is if it's not true for you it's not too late you can be saved today by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ you you know brothers and sisters there's a lot of things we want to be sure of but this one you really 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 want to be sure of don't don't do you have roots on shallow ground can you withstand persecution are, are your seeds planted within the thistles and weeds? Are you kind of really torn between the world and the Word? Are you with me on this? Yeah. But the good news is that you're still alive. You can, if you're not saved, you can still be saved. You can still surrender your life to Jesus and enter the family of God. One last application point. When were you saved? Were you saved later in life? I think a lot of you were saved later in life. And I was saved later in life. I thought I was 32. So, you know, do you have, do you have, were you untimely born? Do you, do you wish you, do you ever wish you grew up in a Christian home or saved as a young boy or girl? Praise God for those that are. Praise God for those that are saved at an early age and they don't have to go through what a lot of us went through. Do you have, do you have (laughs) sins in your past that you feel terrible about? You know you've been forgiven for them, but you know they're there. You know what you've done, right? But here's the good news, brothers and sisters. is God saved you at exactly the right time? I can't see in, so I won't weep as much. He, He saved Apostle Paul at exactly the right time. His day was already written in the book of life. He knew exactly when he was going to get off his throne and go save the Apostle Paul. He knew exactly the day he was going to save you. And he wants to use your history, which is now your testimony for the kingdom of God. He wants to use all of your sin, all of your pain, all of your suffering, to and, and now you realize what you've been delivered from, and he wants us to go full of gratitude, full of love, full of thanksgiving for the King of Kings and He wants us to pour out our lives as living sacrifices. Are you talking to people about Jesus? Are you just just full of the Holy Spirit and can't wait to talk to people about Jesus and tell them the good news? God wants to use your stories. You have a unique story. I don't have your story. But God leads me to places where He can use my story and tell people about Jesus. That is our mission. And as we continue to pray come Jesus come quickly, but until then, it's about the great commission of sharing the gospel with a lost world. Amen. Be encouraged, be empowered, be equipped. Go do the good work that you're called to do. And pray for everybody in here that we would as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you Thank you for the gospel. Thank you out of your great love. You so love the world that you send your only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish. Thank you, Jesus, for leaving your place of glory and being born man. Thank you for living a sinless life. Thank you that you died on the cross for our sins, were buried according to the scriptures. On the third day, you were raised again according to the scriptures. Thank you for the gospel. May we live that truth out until you call us home. Pray this all in Jesus' name.